Welcome to Let's Talk Transportation, a podcast series of the Broward Metropolitan Planning Organization, also known as the MPA. We talk about the ins and outs of transportation in Broward County and all of Southeast Florida, why it matters, how it works, and the challenges and opportunities related to achieving great transportation. I'm your host, Greg Stewart, Executive Director of the MPA. I'm joined today by Joe Yesbeck with T.Y. Lynn International. Welcome, Joe. It's great having you here today. Thanks, Greg. So, as I was mentioning to you before we started, this is about an oral history of Southeast Florida, the transportation network, and this is where we've grown up. You want to talk a little bit about growing up here as a child and things that influenced you to ultimately end up at T.Y. Lynn. Great. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Yeah, I I was uh, born and raised in Miami. I'm a native South Floridian. And... um, when I, I grew up in the area that's now Little Havana, when I was a kid, uh, back in the 60s is when um, uh, the what's now the Dolphin Expressway was actually being built just a few blocks from my house. And I was just captivated by what was going on in the construction of this road and how it was changing the community. And that, I would say, is what triggered my early interest in being involved in transportation. I always knew from then on I was going to get into civil engineering and get into transportation. So did you know it was civil engineering initially? Because my parents said, oh, you should be an architect. No, yeah, I, I I knew because my dad told me. I asked him, hey, who decides where the roads get built? And he told me those are civil engineers. Plus, my dad went to school to be an architect, and he kind of shied me away from that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Uh, uh, I wish I had. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, bigger picture. So, as, as you saw the Dolphin Expressway get built, I guess you got to see a little bit of what we used to call, and when I was a kid, Spaghetti Junction yeah. down there, and the equity issues that happened with... Um, Overtown and that did you know did that spar anything with your your you know as a child as well? You know I would say later on when I when I went away to college um, I went to Georgia Tech which was known at the time for having a um, a strong uh, practice um, in traffic engineering so my interest in transportation got very focused on traffic engineering because of college so I was fortunate when I graduated to come back and get a job at Florida DOT in the traffic operations office which is for me was exactly where I wanted to be was in, so I really early on was focused more on traffic engineering and the problems at intersections on roadways but that's where I started to see that really the problems of moving people and how roadways can affect communities were bigger than just an intersection. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that expansion that you got to see while you now working, do you start with District 6 or District 4? District 4. District 4 up here in Broward. Yeah. yeah that, that's actually awesome. So, you know, while when you started there, I guess it was 595 even there at the time? Um, 595 was, had just completed its, um, the environmental study. So, in fact, in fact, uh, a gentleman, Rick Chesser, was the project manager who oversaw getting the EIS approved. And when that was done, he moved from that position to become the head of traffic operations, or my boss. And um, But yeah, so 595 during the 80s was really a time of right-of-way acquisition where they started to acquire the right-of-way. So when I started, it was just State Road 84, which was a two-lane road. And you look at 595 now and think, wow, you know, in just 30, 40 years, 
I, I have those. Kane. I have those flashback moments where, when I'm actually looking at something, I'm actually seeing what I remember as a kid. That, like, like you're saying, State Road 84 with ditches on both sides, right. going out to the Kapok Tree and the restaurant that was out there in, at the time. But you know, if you think about what you got to see and how 595 got developed, that was a lot of vision um, from the 1972 land use plan. Uh, we still have a copy online. That that was actually called the Port Everglades right. Expressway. No one knew what that was either. You know, yeah. it was like, how did that road get there and how did that plan happen? So with Rick Chesser and you working on that project, um, do you know anything? Remember the city of Hacienda Village? Very much so. Very much so. I mean, we all, those of us who are residents of Broward before the 90s knew that when you went on State Road 84 through Hacienda Village, which is around 441, U.S. 441, you always slowed down and went about two miles below the speed limit because, you know, for a town that had about out of 30, 40 residents, it had an equal number of officers that were out there ticketing. So, and, and 595, you may remember, yeah, Greg, bought the entire village. Yeah, and that actually took care of that problem? It took, that problem disappeared. They bought the village, the legislature decertified the village, and that was it. It was all gone. You wonder if during the time that many of the legislators actually had tickets from there, too. <laughs> it, yeah, everyone, at one point or another, had a ticket from there. It's kind of the irony of, of life when you know, and again, like I see it, I remember it, and you're driving on 595, I go you know, out to visit my in-laws a lot out in Southwest Ranches, and you, you just go, wow, there used to be the city here, and I remember that, and I remember slowing down, and no one, I mean, now no one will ever remember that. Yeah. Again, that goes to the point of why I do this podcast. I want to actually have these things in people's minds that, that way they can, you know, they may not necessarily be able to visualize it, but they can hear it in our voices. It was yeah. actually a reality. Well, you so, know, you, you, when you mentioned about 595 being originally the Port Everglades Expressway, it actually was supposed to be a tolled expressway. And so a little piece of useless trivia is when you go through the interchange of 595 and, and the turnpike, yeah. all the ramps come together at one point. That's not because of the efficiency of design. That's where the toll booth was supposed to be. <laughs> and then when it moved, awesome. yeah, so that's why all the ramps come together at one point. It was supposed to be a toll booth, but when it went from a tolled expressway to a freeway, yeah. The toll, they just removed the toll booth but kept the, the roadway design the same. So was it going to be part of the interstate highway system or was it going to be part of, I, there was a Broward County Expressway. It was part of the expressway program, but what happened is that DOT with Rick Chesser and Broward County was successful in getting it added to the inter, what was called the interstate cost to complete plan, okay. which the Federal Highway Administration maintained. So by getting it added to the interstate system, Huh. That made it eligible for interstate funding. The irony, there's another irony with that too, if you kind of think about it, is now there's a toll lane in the middle. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so, so now it's like gone full circle in a way. Uh, but it, you know, the, it, that helped it build faster, you know, because it's like now, what, 15, 20 years ahead of schedule, Absolutely. it'd probably be under construction as we're speaking right now if it wasn't for that toll facility. And, and who knows what the cost 
Mm. You know, I mean, construction as well as just right-of-way acquisition would be... Ratings that many more years. Today's, yeah. Yeah, in today's dollars. You know, eventually, we're going to have Rick on and have some conversations mm. with him. I'm looking forward to that. But um, So what other projects did you get to see happen down here? Well, you know, the big, the big, um, the big project for me... Which was um, in the mid '80s. What you know, I, I was taught when I mentioned earlier about traffic engineering, and and I got to the point where I, I just wanted to be, I wanted to try to be part of something bigger. And um, being at DOT, there was this concept of possibly starting a commuter rail system here in Southeast Florida. And uh, the MPO, along with the Dade, Miami-Dade, and Broward and Palm Beach MPOs had put together a tri-county committee. Okay. It was an informal committee to oversee a study to look at the possibility of adding commuter rail. Um, and uh, so FDOT agreed to do an environmental study. Okay. And they needed a project manager. And so I moved and said, you know, that sounds pretty interesting. And... Um, it changed, you know, that one project changed the arc of my career and I think made a, um, a, a significant um, contribution to transportation mobility here in southeast Florida and Broward. Um, you know, that, the, the, um, the, the beauty of that project was the environmental, uh, the EIA, the, um, the environmental assessment was approved in 1987. Wow. It was operational in January of 1989. It was stunning how quickly that project went from, you know, from concept to operation. It was less than five years that that whole project became, you know, went from, a, you know, just a glint in somebody's eye to, 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 to actually operating. So that was when um, Tri-Rail was born. That's when Tri-Rail was born. And that was uh, my memory of that was also the widening of uh, I-95. They went from six lanes, I think, to... When they added the carpool lanes and the extra auxiliary lanes yeah six to ten six to twelve lanes that was and that was a that was actually a good investment for down here and even with tri-rail operations on the west track so when the original study was done by the mpos was it to look at the fec or the csx tracks well the original study was the intent was to look at both corridors okay but at the time the fec's um leadership was still the same leadership that had been in place in the 60s when they discontinued passenger service on the FEC. And so that leadership was in no way interested in even talking about the reinstitution of passenger service. So the study never had an opportunity to look at the FEC because they wouldn't allow it. So it just looked at the CSX corridor. So if you're looking now and you're seeing the efforts that are going on with Broward County, Miami-Dade County, the MPOs, um, you know, trying to get passenger rail back onto the FEC Mm. along with Brightline, do you see the positive impacts that you did with Tri-Rail is leading, finally leading to that change of heart at the FEC as well? Yeah, I'm glad you put it that way, Greg, because I do think it's a natural evolution. You know, one of the, um, I think it's, I think um, for the average person, it, it the FEC corridor, because it goes through the downtowns, it, it in some ways appears more obvious, but 
as transportation professionals, what we know is that more people are actually traveling in terms of trips on 95. And so in, in terms of just getting the first service started, where TriRail is today made a lot of sense because it was the corridor that was that had a lot many people going up you know moving in in the corridor but now now that it's established and you want to try to see how can we expand this mobility option the idea of adding to it now the FEC corridor makes sense when you were looking at it way back in the day um, did you ever think about what type of east-west connectivity needed to be done for tri-rail to tap into other markets? Yeah, yeah, you know, that, and that was the question about whether or not that east-west connectivity could be sort of a, a continuous service of the commuter trains, you know, because there are connections, as you may know, in Pompano Beach, down in, in North Dade, um, up in West Palm Beach. There are connections between the two rail corridors. So you could take a look at trains that could operate on both corridors, you know, as a single service. But the other part to that question, I think, Greg, is also, but is that connectivity something just beyond just the commuter rail what about you know what about you know that first and last mile so does connectivity mean not only from one rail corridor to another but also to major destinations that might be in between and and i think that's where we're looking together i mean you and i've been around for a long time Uh, but if you look together and you look at where we're headed here in southeast florida uh, between you know the efforts miami Dade is doing to connect into homestead with a rapid transit system the efforts broward are beginning to make uh to actually have a bunch of east-west corridors whether they're you know bus rapid transit you know, buses operating in dedicated lanes, or even a light rail system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of efforts to tie that. So that backbone, and this goes back right. to one of the, just to share with everybody, um, basically we provided um, an award to Joe a few months back, um, thanking him for, because of that innovation that is TriRail and that beginning of that system, you know, because that created a lot. But that said, so now all of a sudden we're here in the, we're here in today and we're looking at the future. Mm-hmm. You know, from your perspective from the past, where are the corridors that you would recommend that they kind of look at? You know, I mean, just maybe from a transportation with a little bit of looking at the community, I think, you know, part of it is taking a look at where where people where people are coming from and going to today. So, for example, taking a look at like the Nova Southeastern Campus, which is, I think, the number two job center or at least it was for a long time in, in in Broward County. So there seems to be like a no-brainer. Somehow, some better end lies not only on the I-595 corridor, but also on University Drive. Right. You know, so there seems like that, for example, you know, taking a look out west at Sunrise, where you have the arena, you have Sawgrass, and all the, you know, all, uh, yeah, and everything that's going on out there. So I think there are, are major hubs that you could take a look at around the county and say, you know, we need to try to get, you know, maybe that's the next step of higher frequency, um, you know, higher capacity connections. And I'm saying this knowing that, Greg, you're, you, you know, the MPO's long-range plan identifies premium transit corridors, you know, in the areas along the, uh, what I just mentioned in, in, in transit hubs. And 15 years ago, you and I got to work together on identifying a bunch of those uh, corridors and hubs. Yeah. 
Um, you know, it was funny this morning. I was actually uh, communicating with the former board chair from back then, and he saw that we're currently, just for everybody's knowledge, we're doing the uh, 2050 plan. Mm-hmm. And back then it was a 2035. Yeah. And he goes, That seems like yesterday. And it was 15 years ago. And it took a lot of efforts to get us where we are today just to see maybe some of that planning come into reality. So I I asked the question really simply because it's like, I think as residents, and you and I are probably, you know, you were born here. I wasn't, but I mean, I came here when I was two and a half. Mm. And, you know, I've been here ever since planning on staying here forever um you know so i'm like looking at this going okay well what's this future going to be like you know for me getting old here what's this future going to be like for my nieces and nephews kids um same thing you know with your kids and their children and their children's children you know and, and what do what type of legacy do we leave behind so with that you know we know what we did in the 2035 you and i do but what corridors i mean this is now off this is not the right. joe yesbeck ty lynn this is joe yesbeck broward county resident right you know what would you say so, you, you know, I think that when we take a look at the corridors, Greg, uh, you know, there's like there's there's two parts to that. And I and just to pat you in the MPO on the back, because number one is, you know, the the principal like the principal responsibility, what everyone thinks about is being able to be mobile and move distances between like major, major hubs or major um, commercial centers around the county. But for quality of life, for the residents, it's really about, you know, just the more local mobility. And so some of the issues that you're doing with safe streets, some of the, you know, in the programs you've put in place to help the cities and communities here to take a look at, at you know, maybe like a downtown corridors in Pompano and Hollywood and Fort Lauderdale, where you where the residents and visitors they don't have to use a car they can walk they can bike they can and and those types of investments and transitioning the corridors away from just a car corridor to really a full mobility corridor for people to be able to enjoy i think that's what's going to be important like for me right and hopefully for you know my kids and my grandkids that you know, it transportation and mobility isn't going to be just about trying to go a long distance, but it's going to be also about moving around their own community. I, I, one of the things I noticed as I've gotten older, I actually moved closer into downtown Fort Lauderdale so I could walk to the grocery store mm-hmm. so we could go walk to restaurants so I could ride my bike a little bit better because I mean, there's actually better facilities as you get closer to town than there are when you're further out. I think that's kind of a fascinating thing, that future is mobility and it's localized mobility because the distances were so geared in our brains to think we need to move people far. You know, how do we get people into Miami? How do we get people up to Palm Beach? How do we get people to downtown Fort Lauderdale? And in in our brains, that's what the functional side says, but it really is those local trips. It's that little short distance to go from your house to the coffee shop and back. Right. What an exciting conversation to have with you. you I think, unfortunately, we're running out of time, but I'm going to ask if you can come back in the future. We can maybe see where we are with our planning efforts. That would be great. And, uh, you know, have a few more conversations about where what we thought was going to happen and what, where we're going to go. That sounds wonderful. Thanks so much for the time to talk about the past yeah. and, and also kind of where we're going in the future. Because that's an important thing. Joe, thanks for coming in. Thanks, Greg.
The Let's Talk Transportation podcast is produced by the Broward MPO, where every day we fund and implement projects that move people and goods, create jobs, and strengthen communities. Learn more at BrowardMPO.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Speak Up Broward. If there is a transportation topic you'd like to know more about, let us know by sending an email to info at BrowardMPO.org.